You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk. My name is Brett, and I'll be your host. This is a podcast all about containers and DevOps. Sometimes I have guests, sometimes it's just you and me on the internet live on YouTube where I answer your questions. You can watch this show live every Thursday at brett.live. That's B-R-E-T dot live. You can also support this show on Patreon. I have a growing number of patrons that are fans of this show and all the open source work and open content that I create. And I'm truly thankful to all of you. For those of you that are part of my membership plans on patreon.com, I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for your support. Now, it's been about six weeks since I released an episode. So you might say that in August, I took a vacation for my birthday from podcasting, but that's not true. What's really been happening behind the scenes is we've been working on additional content for my Kubernetes mastery course. We've also been working on updating some of the content in Docker mastery and Kubernetes mastery courses, specifically around the Kubernetes 1.18 release, which did happen in the spring. So that was about six months ago when that came out. But a lot of us didn't need to use it yet. It wasn't in any major releases of a Kubernetes distribution. It wasn't available on any of the platforms or cloud hosters. So it didn't make sense to add it in to the course yet. It changed a number of things, most specifically in the command line with kube control run. Of course, the challenge for us content creators and course creators is that all of the things we talk about in the run command are now obsolete and often won't work. So we're going back through all of the videos and making sure that the courses will be the 118 and newer experience while also leaving stuff in there for those of you that will be on older releases, 117 and older. Well, anyway, let's get to the show and talk about our guest. This week is from a podcast earlier this year with Steve Sloka from VMware, where we talk about a couple of Kubernetes projects including Contour and Gimbal operators. Now, Contour is a controller in the Kubernetes control plane that gives you an additional resource for ingress. It replaces the ingress resource inside of Kubernetes by using Envoy as its proxy. We also go a little bit into Gimbal, which is a newer project that takes multiple Kubernetes clusters with Contour and then adds an additional cluster that provides multi-cluster ingress. If you check out the show notes, you'll get a link to the YouTube live show where there's about 30 minutes of demos that he goes through that we do skip in this podcast. So I'll let you know in the podcast at the point where we kind of fade out of the pre-demo conversation and then jump into a bunch of other things after the demos, including talking about what operators are, and I go on a bit of a soapbox moment where I'm talking about application container replacement and how there's a lot of subtlety inside of the way your applications disconnect clients. So I hope you enjoy this chat I have with Steve Sloka of VMware. One of the things I always love to talk to people about is how they originally found containers, how they originally got into Docker and all that stuff. So what's your story? Sure, yeah. So before VMware and previously that Heptio, I worked at a very large healthcare organization. So a big 80,000 person enterprise, your typical, a ticket in two weeks to do anything. So to get a server, you know, a ticket in two weeks to get an application on the server, a ticket in two weeks, that sort of thing. So we 
found that this is early, what, 2015-ish, Docker just became kind of new. And we found that we could automate our, our applications, our development. So uh, deploying Java, deploying our Angular apps at the time, uh, Docker was, it was very easy to get the same versions everywhere, the same story that Docker sells. But the problem then became was, hey, we, we solved our dev problem, but how do we solve this in production? How do we ship this? Yeah. Um, again, because it was, hey, IT person, go deploy this app for us and then troubleshoot it and that sort of thing. So the, the, the feedback loops were very long. Uh, it made it hard for us to push changes. So we came up with, we thought, okay, how can we ship these Docker containers to production? And at the time, uh, Kubernetes was just new. So we started using it in, I think, December of 2014, right after it got became released as a beta. So we started shipping things off of that. And so from there, it just blew up. So we, my, my role moved from normal software engineer to software engineer in Kubernetes and containers and the whole world as it exploded around that time. Yeah. And of course, now we look back and Heptio was this rising star in the container and Kubernetes community, right? Some of the originals, Joe Beta, like this OG crew of people that were fanatical about Kubernetes. And then VMware bought them two years ago or last year? Who was that? It was a little over a year ago, yeah. Yeah. So December, yeah. And last year. Yeah. And you've been lucky enough to focus a lot or exclusively on open source. Yeah, so when I started at Heptio, we started working on open source, so the things we'll talk about today, yeah, uh, Contour and Gimbal. But, so those were the projects that we started out at Heptio, and we were able to continue that through now the acquisition to VMware uh, and make those projects still be successful in the open source world. Well, we're here to talk about Ingress again. Bring everybody up to speed on Ingress, because if you weren't here on the show <clears> a couple <throat> weeks ago, when I, we launched, uh, I launched a new part of my Kubernetes course, Kubernetes Mastery, and it was all about Ingress. We have yet to put in there anything about Contour and Envoy, but that is definitely on the to-do list to get more examples of Ingress, especially once we start getting in the course into operators and more of the CRD stuff where you're customizing on top of Kubernetes. Can you tell us a little bit about like, maybe what the separation is between Envoy and Contour and how those are different than just like the Nginx one that everybody knows about? What's that all about? Yeah. Sure, yeah. So Contour is an ingress controller for Kubernetes. Ingress in, in, in general, today there's a couple versions of that, but if we say ingress, we think about the V1 beta 1, so the Kubernetes V1 beta 1 API. So there's a contract there. If you think of an, any generic ingress controller, it needs to implement that contract. So Contour does that, and its job is to watch the cluster, your Kubernetes cluster, for things like secrets, things, services, endpoints, all the information that it needs to go build that or fulfill that contract between your request and the backend pod. So in contour sense, it's getting its job, it does that. It sets up watches on the API in Kubernetes, and then pulls the information back, and then it builds a configuration. And then it passes that configuration down to Envoy. Envoy's job in contour's world is to be the data path component. So all traffic actually routes through Envoy. In a technical sense, contour is the um, configuration server for Envoy. So it implements Envoy's XDS protocol, and so when Envoy spins up, we give it enough information to go find Contour. Once it finds Contour, then we can pass that information down to Envoy and then have it configured for all the routes and different things that it needs to do. And then when a request comes through, Envoy's job is to route that where it goes. The ingresses that we all think about today, those are largely one cluster type of solutions. So eventually, once people get the hang of Kubernetes and they start to really love it and start to use it more, they end up with multiple clusters. There's really no shop that I've seen that's fully invested in Kubernetes that has just one cluster. And so there's becomes these challenges around how do you manage all these clusters. And I haven't learned a whole lot myself around 
these multi-cluster solutions other than just general management. So, you're, so is Gibble has something to do with that multi-cluster thing. What's that all about? Yeah, so Gimbal was another project that came out of Heptio. And so Gimbal's idea is to take Kubernetes and make it a software-based load balancer. So if you think of a load balancer, you want to have redundancy and uptime. So we can leverage Kubernetes to do that. So we can add capacity by adding nodes to the to that cluster. We can use the, the built-in HA capabilities of Kubernetes to make it redundant. But essentially what Gimbal does is it goes and allows you to send traffic to multiple different clusters. Um, so today, we support Kubernetes and OpenStack, and I have a PR I need to finish to send it to vSphere clusters. So you can have any number, again, of upstream clusters, and then traffic will hit this gimbal cluster, and then it'll decide where that should go within the from within those clusters. So now instead of thinking of, if you apply the same idea of ingress to a single cluster, you can then apply this now to multiple clusters. So this solves the problems of a cluster needs to go down for maintenance, or you need to upgrade a cluster or something. You can now do that through this central um, software-based load balancer in a sense. So the only one thing I want to call out that we're looking at adding to, to Gimbal today is Gimbal requires having routable pod IPs. And this doesn't fit every customer situation. So when a request comes from Gimbal back to that backend cluster, every endpoint needs to be routable, mm. which may or may not happen in every cluster today. But we're looking at some things today to help, help solve that. But as the sprawl now, I, th I think there was a trend to have large clusters in Kubernetes. Um, and now the trend is to have lots of smaller clusters for, for various reasons. Gimbal can be a way to help you send traffic across those different clusters. Yeah, I can see. I definitely can agree with that trend because when it was challenging, as the management of a cluster <laughs> itself gets easier, it's easier to deploy, update, that stuff. Originally, it was challenging enough to just get one set up. You didn't have all these cloud providers making one for you. And especially if you're going vanilla upstream, you didn't want to have to make a lot of them because there wasn't any tooling around managing multiple version copies. It was hard to upgrade without breaking things. Um, and as we get, I think, better at all that, I could, I could certainly see how we're spreading out the number of clusters because we're comfortable, especially once the tooling supports working with 10 clusters relatively as easy as working with one big cluster. And I, I know that a lot of the horror stories around upgrades in particular, trying to get the Kubernetes all of the versions of things upgraded, that this this idea of having multiple clusters and possibly even shifting from one cluster to another as an upgrade path is uh, more sustainable. Okay, so we have this sort of view of a proxy. There's a management engine on top of that for one cluster, and then there's this other management engine and proxy that uh, surfaces across those. Is it like the one cluster in front of many clusters? Is that kind of how this ends up laying, laying out, where you have all these different layers of proxies all the way down? Yeah, so for Gimbal, that's how it works. Yeah, yeah. so you have a, a routing cluster in a sense. So that's its own cluster that its job is just to be a router. And then, yeah, then you have your other upstream clusters that live, live around that. All right, at this point, Steve gives us some demos around Contour and Gimbal. And so I'm going to bring us back in after those demos are over and we're wrapping up our conversation about service replacement. Yeah. The thing you mentioned about service training, I feel like we could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. The, I talk about it a lot when I start talking about day two operations because a lot of, there's a lot of talk about out there around how to properly update services and other types of resources. And we talk about backups and we talk about maintenance and all that sort of stuff, rolling upgrades, all that stuff. But when it starts to get into application, actually getting an application getting replaced by another application and that 
you need to be so nuanced and so detailed in exactly how your app is shutting down and how it's monitoring connections and how so many apps like Python and Node.js don't track those by default. So you can't just necessarily depend on your app to not just terminate every single upload that's currently happening to your web app just because you decide to replace the service. And one of the experiences I tend to have, because I tend to work with a lot of companies that are migrating to containers. So they're coming from a, a legacy infrastructure where maybe they're only doing maintenance-based updates once a month and they have this window and everybody knows. And now they're thinking that because they're in containers and orchestration, they can start rolling out these things really fast because their pipeline enables them to do. And then they get in a hot water because they realize, oh, we didn't really account for shutting down all our connections. And now we have people that are clients that are complaining around our maintenance time, but I thought we weren't supposed to have a maintenance time anymore. And so I think, I feel like having more visibility into that is such a huge thing. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I, for those of you watching, cannot be understated. <laughs> Please test a lot during your rolling updates, whether you're going to do rolling updates, blue greens, canary, whatever. Make sure you're doing all the things that users would be doing on your platform, especially if they're doing things like uploading or downloading large things, because I think that's what really gets companies into trouble. When it's a static website, no one notices because mm -hmm. you just hit refresh and the thing's back up. But... There's so much subtle subtlety to those connection shutdowns that I think a lot of people glaze over that, thinking that the load balance is going to somehow magically protect them from it. So, and it may take minutes or hours to do that, too. Like it yeah. may take you six hours to roll out your change because you're waiting for connections to drop and that sort of thing. So, <laughs> and you're yeah. just like, you're just sitting there, come on, people, close your browser. <laughs> just I, go away. <laughs> I, want, I want this new version finished so I can go home. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because usually if you're the operator that day, you're not going home until the until all the connections are gone, and maybe not ha don't have these six hour wait states in your HTTP connections where you're just right. you're polling after six hours. Like maybe don't do that. Maybe have them thirty minutes, twenty minutes. That way you can actually have these short deployments. Because yeah, these deployments can get really these updates in particular can get really long is if you have if you have these long connections and web sockets and stuff like that. I kind of threw that curveball with the with the visualization, and I didn't realize that you were going to have all that stuff ready to go. What else? You got anything else in there that you haven't uh, shown off? I don't think so yet. I think that anything else would be a whole other, like you said, whole other conversation. Podcast, the chat, chat, yeah, yeah. Just I think Contours. What makes it unique is it's, it's, we're very open. We're actually looking at getting it donated to the CNCF soon. So again, we've been 100% open source since the start, and so appreciate your feedback. The other thing about Contour, I think we probably should chat about is just it's opinionated in the sense that we like to have good defaults for things. So mm -hmm. you, you might look at having a request timeout or something and make it like have lots of knobs in the application. And what we found is that users can get into a bad position by having too many knobs and not understanding how those work. So we, we try to not add lots of knobs and let Contour set same defaults. Like we won't allow um, HTTP 1.0 requests mm -hmm. unless you really want that. Okay. Things like that, we talked about those annotations, right? There's a common one that says, when I get a request to a plain HTTP endpoint, redirect to a secure HTTPS website. But in Contour, when you specify a certificate on a domain name or a vhost, automatically do that for you because we assume you're going to want that. So why annotate all of your objects and maybe miss one and not have yeah. that redirect? Yeah, it tries to do things like that that make sense in the world that you're going to want this, so let's just do that for you. Yeah, and uh, I, but again, I, yeah, I like yeah. that. Be being a Docker person, I'm a big fan of opinionated, easy defaults. <laughs> mm -hmm. As long as we all have the documentation and everybody knows how to change them. But uh, I think a lot of us are just already overwhelmed by all this tech. None of us were doing this stuff five years ago. Like, this is all new stuff. And it's always overwhelming for people to add these new layers of tech to their stack. And keeping the YAML short and keeping the defaults sane is, I think, always a good thing. And having, what is it uh, Docker used to say? Batteries included but swappable, I think is what they yeah. used to call it. <laughs> I always like that term. 
So very cool. So how can people get involved? So we've got the I've got over here on my screen. We got the Project Contour website. So that's the homepage for it. I'm sure that there's all these great getting started guides for adding the CRDs to your cluster. You talked a little bit about the operators, though, and how is how exactly for those that aren't familiar with necessarily how these operators and CRDs and all these things play in the part here? Because we haven't had a great discussion on this show about operators. What's the difference between adding the CRD so that you have this ingress route and HTTP proxy resource and the operator? What's the difference there? So yeah, so I think sometimes operators are, are an overloaded term. Mm-hmm, um, for sure. So generically what Contour is, it's, it's a controller, right? So that it, it's a controller that's watching for a set of resources and taking action on them. When I think of an operator, I think of it having production knowledge about deploying new things. So a few years ago, I helped, helped initiate the first Elasticsearch operator, which we talked a little bit about before. So its job was to have CRDs, but then create new resources based on what you define in this YAML. And what it did was it was able to look at the cluster and take action. So again, it's opinionated that it's going to help manage you know, a complex application, so a database or something like that, which has more operational knowledge around it. But generically, yeah, controllers are just, but they're, but they're exactly the same thing, right? They still have these watch loops and these, these um, control, control loops that you're implementing. It's just more of, in my head, how is it applying that to a cluster? Okay. So, um, so go ahead, yeah, sorry. just having CRDs themselves isn't, doesn't mean you have an operator, I don't think. Right. Um, you can still have, like Contour has CRDs, but I wouldn't call it an operator. Okay. Yeah, because when you get all the fanciness out of the way and we like, try to define the operator framework and we talk about operator hub and all these things, the, the simplest way I've been able to come up with it, and I'm probably wrong in some cases on this, but a CRD to me tends to mean that you're using the standard cube control command line to apply YAML and you're just using a different type of resource. So your YAML kind, the little thing at the top says kind, is different, and then you get this different mm-hmm. spec. But once it becomes an operator, in my experience, it tends to be an extra optional command line, whether it's an addition to the kube control command line, or maybe it exposes itself in a web portal, or maybe some third-party additional tooling. But it, it seems to abstract away a lot of that automation and, and intelligence that you just have no longer have to know into something else. Is that Would you agree with that? Uh, I think so. Sometimes that sounds scary to let somebody else manage all of that for you. Yeah. But I think it's coming better. I think in the early days they were new. I think it's getting better. But yeah, I would agree. I, th- I think it's yeah. To me, it's a complex app that it's getting managed, you know, itself. Right. Yeah, I think some of the best ones I've seen are where the setup of a three-node database cluster, without you having to perfect your YAML and then like hack through scripts this legacy database thing that doesn't know how to be automatically set up because it was designed way before containers were ever invented. And those to me are some of the big bang for the bucks uh, on getting, keeping you out of the weeds of the nuance of how a MongoDB replica set is set up or how a mirror is set up on MySQL or stuff like that. But once we start, but once we're, as we're maturing in this world of CRDs and operators, it's interesting to see some of these new ideas about what an operator might do and the grudge work of the day-to-day, how do, I, how do I do a backup of this server and make sure that backup's constantly being done and make sure that if mm-hmm. it doesn't backup, I don't have to set up like all these extra systems just to do a simple backup and be notified if it failed. Right. So that's really the exciting stuff I'm seeing there. So when we get to <coughs> the, sorry, the gimbal, is the gimbal experience a whole lot different or is it, a, is it I'm assuming it's a different CRD, right? So we've got a different... Uh, 
resource kind in there? No, so it uses the same HTTP proxy resource oh, okay. uh, that you, that we just demoed. Uh, so really what Gimbal does is, it actually we didn't explain this, what it does is it goes and replicates all the services and endpoints in each upstream cluster. So it looks at, so it, it'll take every namespace, so say you have a marketing namespace. So it'll take all the endpoints in that one and copy it to the marketing namespace of your Gimbal routing cluster. So now you have a copy of all those services and endpoints. So essentially we're using Kubernetes as our own data store, right? We don't have to have our own database or something, we're just using etcd to do that. So once we have all those in the Gimbal cluster, now you can just create your proxy resources in that Gimbal routing cluster, and then the same endpoints show up there. So as you change applications on the backend clusters, Gimbal will automatically synchronize all of the different services and endpoints to make them show up in that routing cluster. So you would define all of your ingress resources in that routing cluster, not in the upstream oh, okay. cluster. Okay, so it's not a bunch of repetitive commands. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it should all just yeah. As soon as you turn it on, it should all just all the stuff should just show up automatic automatically. And then you just define your route that way, and then you're off to the races. And you have the same different inclusion model. So you apply all that. Now you can have lots of teams be self-sufficient, and you can also bridge other worlds. So if you had in this case OpenStack or something that's not containerized, or you have different endpoints living out somewhere else. Like I like I have a vSphere discoverer that I have to go merge yet. So if you have a bunch of VMs that may never be containerized, you can still bridge those worlds together from Kubernetes to these you know, VMs and traditional infrastructure uh, and still have a way to route to everything. Yeah. All right. We've got some questions in chat. Let's see. Can you contrast to traffic plus minus? I use that for my local development work with Swarm, and it's very lightweight, almost exactly the same laptop experience as production, <coughs> enterprise, layer 7, yada. Okay, so... I don't know how much Steve knows traffic, and I don't know Contour. Uh, okay, let me just talk I said off the top of the head. So Contour, is there any less encrypt functionality in there? Yeah, so if you, yeah, you can do the same ingress annotations or create the cert, the ingress manager, or the cert manager CRD, and, and Contour will process that the same. Yeah, so it'll work out of the box. Okay. Okay, yeah, so if I wanted to do less encrypt, it will allow me to, res it'll respond to requests for me from the verification. Right, yes. Yeah. And then, okay, so it would use cert manager for storage in that case. That was actually a question. Is that what you were saying? <laughs> storage for what? For the Sorry, for the certificates, yeah. Yeah, we'll get written to, I guess saying there's two ways you can get certs. You can actually, you can annotate it with an ingress object and say, hey, go get me a cert that way. Yeah. Or you can create a, a cert manager CRD object type and say, hey, I want to cert with these parameters and then cert manager will process that the same way, which eliminates having to have that ingress resource. Okay. Round and then if you want, uh, the next thing I'm thinking is if you want fault tolerance in Contour, what does that look like? Is it multiple Contour controllers? Yeah, so you can have, you can scale it out as much as you'd like. If you need more, more network, I'm losing words now, more network capacity, you'd mm -hmm. add more envoys to, the, to, your, to your fleet. Sure. Um, and then you can have as many Contours as you'd like as well. So each Contour will respond. Uh, like I said, con Envoy connects to Contour for its configuration. Um, you can have as many as you'd like. Um, the only thing that Contour has is a, a leader election that happens to figure out who can write back status. So like one person should be able to write status to the API. Oh, okay. Um, so that's the only lead election bit in there, but everything else, every Contour is an active, an active member to, to fulfill requests from Envoy. Okay. And are these in, are these separate pods, the Envoy and the Contour? Yeah, so by default we deploy Contour as a deployment, and we deploy Envoy as a daemon set. Okay. So you get one per node. Envoy kind of scales with CPUs and disk I.O., so it doesn't help to put multiple Envoys on a machine. You don't right. gain a lot from that. So 
by using uh, a daemon set, we can just have one per, per node. But again, it's up to you. There's no requirement for on that. You could have them all. We used to actually deploy Contour and Envoy in the same pod uh, when we first started mm -hmm. and deployed those all over the place. So uh, it's really whatever fits your network. So it'll, it'll work in any, any yeah. different model. So now you're scaling back on the number of contours. So it almost sounds to me like your invoice, your invoice scaling is based around your load of client connections, and maybe your your contour scaling is in terms of scaling for throughput or whatever. It's scaling more on just the change rate and whether or not you want fault fault tolerance. Is that? Yeah, you'd want multiple contours. So if you lost a single contour, yeah, um, then you'd want you'd, all the invoices to connect to a different instance of contour so it wouldn't lose configuration if all it's the contour works like kubernetes like if the api server goes down everything should work as is at in the state last state that it knew about but yeah so you'd want to have multiple contours to do to have that, yeah. that tolerance that way yeah. but it doesn't actually need to scale in other words if you're suddenly getting millions of hits it's not like contour needs to scale it's the envoy that's really doing all that work because we're, we're really right. just talking about the controller acting on changes in the api so if you're not doing a lot of api changes and maybe you can get away with just two uh two contours. I'm curious, uh, for that leader election, is that doing raft something or is that something different? I think we're using the, the config map set up in, in Kubernetes. So there's okay. a, a client go example that everything uses. Um, so it uses a config map to write to and whoever can write to that to find who it is. Okay. So it's a built-in thing in Kubernetes, yeah. Yeah, that'll work. And that's nice because then you don't have to have at least three. <laughs> right, yeah. You could have two and it would still work, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me see if there's any other questions here. Running the complete Kubernetes Contour gimbal stack on a laptop so developer experience is the same as production, is this practical or just heavy? Biker, my opinion is that's heavy. If you have to have Kubernetes to develop, you might be doing it wrong. But, Steve, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I go back and forth on some of that, depending on you know how much stuff you've got running. Um, there's actually, in, on the Project Contour IO website, there's a blog post I wrote how to use Kind. Uh, so kind is Kubernetes and Docker, so it's a way to spin up Kubernetes with, with just the Docker client. So it's an neat way to get quick clusters. Um, so I show you how to, you can do that easily on your machine. So if you want to deploy Contour or, or Traffic or whatever Ingress control you'd like, it should you should be able to swap in and out Contour for that. Yeah, so I guess it depends on you, whatever makes sense for you. It's, it's, I, we used to run a lot of stuff locally, and then at some point it got heavy and we deployed out to shared infrastructure, but then there's pain in that because when it breaks, you can't just destroy it as easily. Yeah. locally, you could just throw the whole thing away and start it again real easily. Yeah. Um, so I guess better works for you. Depends on it depends question or depends yeah, It does. It does. I, for one, know no one that wants to develop in Kubernetes. <laughs> there yeah. are some people that maybe think they have to or they're told to, but oh my goodness, who needs another tool that's going to slow their CPU and eat their battery? And the reality is that Kubernetes was never designed to do that. Like none of the original scope of it was designed to be a development platform on your local machine. I know there's lots of tools that do it. We got Scaffold and all these other things that are trying to make it easier for people. But just because it can doesn't mean it should. So if you hear me rant about it a little bit, I'll just say, hey, look, what's wrong with Docker Compose? Like mm -hmm. that keeps us minimal. Or increasingly, the shops that I work with, they're just, unless they're maybe like a Ruby shop or maybe some shops where they just don't have an easy way to manage the state of their local app development. So they're, if they're switching between different apps and they're constantly have to worry about Ruby versions and version management and stuff like that is a thing. Um, I, what I've been finding though lately is a lot of shops I'm working with, they really are focused on developer happiness and those developers are not happy if they have to develop in a container all day. So uh, even though they are using containers, what they are using them for is only for spinning up all the backend services 
that'll run on like localhost and Docker desktop or something. And that can right. be on Kubernetes or on Compose or on Swarm or whatever you want. And then it just lets them, they let them be on their native OS because their apps are designed for that and all their, to their advanced tooling and everything is happier that way. I keep thinking that we're gonna get to a way where we have this sort of sweet spot where all of these, all of the, the dependency injectors and all that stuff will all be container friendly for local development. But there's still a, there's a whole, there's a reason I put out an entire Node.js course on this because it is not easy and it's not intuitive. Right. And Node.js is one of the good ones. It's a little easier than a lot of the other ones. I don't know. I go back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, I know a few years ago I wrote a tool. What it is, it was to help our, we had a, the same problem where we had like QA folks and stuff that didn't have all the tooling to spin up, actually compile the code. So we wrote a tool that would actually deploy feature branches to namespaces in Kubernetes. I think someone else has done this now. Yeah. But at the time, I thought it was cool by, by coming up with that. But so you get a, a unique URL to that. Um, branch and then it could QA that branch, feature branch, test it, validate it, and then ship it that way. So then the whole thing would tear down when the branch went away. So yeah, it's another, and that's another flip on developing in Kubernetes where you're not actually compiling code on there, but you're able to test different features and stuff. Yeah, I know. You know I'm, using I'm, flexibility. I'm definitely a fan of that. Is that currently an active tool? Is that? No, yeah. it's one of those things that I built and then nothing else happened to it. Yeah. <laughs> because that is a, a common thing that I think a lot of people are asking about is that they want, whether it's feature branches or every PR or stuff like that. We've got mm -hmm. some of these tools now, some of the CI tools and even some of the, the static front-end tools like Netlify and other ones. They're all mm -hmm. out of the box trying to automatically make every PR you're doing in every branch if you wanted to just make those sites and publish them so that you have all those URLs. And I think I wouldn't be surprised that becomes a standard is that we spin up these mini environments, whether it's in kind or in a different namespace of a single you know, test cluster or whatever. As much as we want to automate all these tools, people love still having a URL to, yeah. to look at or to test or to, to, to give somebody else if they're not uh, running all the same stuff locally. So that's cool. What else we got here? Some opinions about this in chat. Got lots of uh, back good opinions. I think that's it for the questions. I think it's all just good comments about the, the, the pros and cons of all this stuff, of uh, complex local development or simple development and just saying, hey, look, um, it's hopefully CI is going to work it out. If we, if we have any cross-architecture problems, hopefully CI will help us. Or yeah. maybe just running the local tests. I, I think I'm also a fan of seeing doing it as much as possible so that your, all your CI tests can also be run locally instead of having to wait on a CI solution to go through those pipelines. I, I tend to use Docker Compose for that heavily. Are you primary now? Are, is a contour in Go? I can't remember. Yeah, it's all it's all Go then. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, so you're spending your days in Go? Yes. Yeah. And so what does and so this is probably a conversation we should have had early, early on. What what does your local development environment look like? Are you? I'm assuming you're Go native on your machine. Yeah. So I I, I have been I keep flipping back and forth between Linux and, and a Mac. I just got a fancy new Mac from work, so I'm back on the Apple train. Um, Ooh, is it, yeah, the, is, so it, have, is it the new keyboard? Do you have the fixed yeah, keyboard? Yeah, it's the 16-inch. Nice. Yeah, you, can, you can type again, yeah. But again, the, the same. So yeah, so I'm Go natively. I use Goland. I was a, bit, a VS Code user for a while, for, but I find Goland has lots of little things that I've come to rely on and, and, and enjoy. So I use that, and then I use Kind for clusters and stuff. But mm. I still miss you know, having that Docker instance run as a VM still is heavy. So yeah. nothing like having Linux to do all that. Yeah. 
They not too distracted, but I, for those of you still watching, I will be putting out some information. Docker actually published their very first roadmap here in 2020. <laughs> And so now they have this open source uh, roadmap for all their tooling on GitHub. And you, can, you too can request new features of their tooling. And a, a several of those are around shrinking the, shrinking the binaries, getting a lot of the tooling out of there that was maybe now legacy or unnecessary or has been replaced by something else. And the, the team's looking to optimize a lot of that. Especially now, uh, we're hoping that they'll take their Kubernetes instance inside Docker Desktop and just go to K3S and have that. Because that seems to be the most minimal, in terms of my experience with CPU, that seems to be the uh, easiest way other than just kind in running Kubernetes without burning down your battery in, in a couple of hours. So we're hoping that it'll get better for that. But uh, if you're on laptop, if you're on Linux, and you ain't got nothing to worry about. It's all there. <laughs> cool. Steve, thanks so much for being on the show. We have some people talking in chat, but nobody has asked any further questions. So we're going to wrap it up at hour. What is what? Okay, so people should get involved by going to the GitHub repos. I think I pointed those out. There's the Project Contour repo. There's actually a whole organization for that. So we've got, yeah, we've got the, the Contour in here. We've got Gimbal in here. So people can look at the stuff, download the, infra the stuff, file issues. You're probably going to be involved with that somewhere. Be nice. Be, be nice to our open source friends out there taking care of you by making all the free stuff. Yep. And we know your Twitter handle. So if you want to check him out on Twitter, he's there. Say hi to him on the Twitter and that's about it. Uh, where else can people find you on the internet? I'm Steve Sloker pretty much everywhere. So okay. GitHub.com slash Steve Sloker, yeah. So right. it's, um, it should be easy to find, yeah. Yeah, cool. Thanks again for being on the show. I look forward to hearing... Unfortunately, I won't be seeing you in KubeCon in a couple of weeks, but I look forward to the, the updates of these projects and getting into them myself and learning a lot about them. And hopefully we'll have you back on the show with the next major release and a whole lot of new stuff. Maybe when we yeah. do Ingress V2, maybe when that comes out, we can see how Contour works with that. So yeah, sounds good. Yeah, thanks again. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.